Welcome to the Culture Classroom, a podcast for teachers and coaches by teachers and coaches. Listen to top leaders, innovators, and influencers share their stories about how intentional culture elevates performance. Now, here are your hosts, John Weaver and John Torrey. Let's get better together. Coach Weaver, we're back at it and uh, surfs up here again. We're going to catch another wave here. And uh, I just want to ask you a random question, right? Who is the greatest competitor that you've ever seen? Because you and I are in athletics. We've coached a lot of good kids, been around a lot of good players uh, in the 20-plus years that we've been coaching slash playing slash being around the games. Who's the greatest competitor you've seen? This one's easy. There's no debate. I wore his shoes tonight when we went out to dinner. It's the one and only number 23, the Michael Jordan. Just Michael Jordan. There's no comparison to who greatest clutch player is, uh, the guy that wants the ball in his hands, uh, the greatest competitor, the greatest I mean, greatest of all time. I mean, Michael Jordan. Other people listening to this might say Larry Bird, might say LeBron, might say Tom Brady. It's Michael Jordan. Yeah, you know, I actually hated Michael Jordan growing up. Like, I've come to appreciate him because he's the gold standard for basketball. I was a Magic fan, uh, so Magic Johnson was my guy growing up. Um, but, you know, didn't like MJ, didn't like necessarily the way he played, didn't like how he treated his teammates. He's got a dark side, right? He's all about winning. He's largely about himself. Um, but those are the reasons that he's become ultra successful and has transcended everyone else from that generation, right? You mentioned Larry Bird, Isaiah Thomas, Magic, all those other guys on the Dream Team, Charles Barkley. I mean, I keep going and going and going. Like, people compare Kobe to Michael Jordan. People compare LeBron to Kobe to Michael to Jordan. So it's kind of like that's the gold standard in the NBA. So it's hard to uh, argue with you that he's the greatest competitor um, that you've seen or, or that we know about here in America. Yeah, the other one, I mean, right off, you just say Tiger Woods. I think Tiger Woods rivals that a little bit just from his competitive nature of what he meant to the game of golf and how he just, like, he dominated. Yeah. And knew that he dominated and he practiced and he had a purpose. And not saying that Brady and, and all those guys didn't, but, I mean, you can put Tiger Woods different levels in different sports. But, I mean, greatest competitor could also be Tiger Woods, but I got to stick with MJ. No, you know, it's such a good point because there's another guy that transcended everything, right? Like, Tiger totally changed golf. Prior to Tiger Woods, it was like guys were smoking on the course. Guys didn't look like athletes. Like, guys didn't lift weights. They, you know, it, it was kind of a joke of a hobby sport of, oh, this is a professional athlete. And now, now look at it. Guys are fit. Guys are uh, lifting. Guys are adding strength all the time. Uh, almost every golfer has some kind of strength and flexibility routine that they do so they can hit the ball farther and harder. And a lot of that's because of Tiger and, and what he was able to do. For me, my first Super Bowl was Tom Brady's first Super Bowl. So my first assignment from the NFL at Super Bowl 36 was go with Tom Brady to this press conference. And at the time, Tom Brady was coming in for Drew Bledsoe, who had been injured you know, and people were like, okay, who's Tom Brady? Like, and I, I of course, had followed his career at Michigan. Um, and now that name Tom Brady means something totally different than it did back in 2002 at Super Bowl 36. But uh, to me, he's the greatest competitor I've ever seen. Like, just, and again, similar qualities to Tiger, similar qualities to MJ. Yeah, it's like a Wally Pitt moment, though, with Drew Bledsoe to Tom Brady. You know, Wally Pitt, the story of that, Lou Gehrig steps in and the the games played, but that's like a Drew Bledsoe thing. Like if Drew Bledsoe doesn't get hurt, Tom Brady doesn't 
step on the stage, and who knows if there ever will be a Tom Brady. Yeah, who knows? It, like maybe the Patriots don't win five Super Bowls, right? Like maybe uh, five or six, six, six Super Bowls. So I mean, uh, yeah, just all kinds of stuff there, and a chicken or the egg kind of moment, like. Is Drew, would Drew have gotten it done against the greatest show on turf? I, I don't know. It's one of the greatest Super Bowls of all time. Came down to Adam Vinatieri's game-winning kick. I was standing right there on the Patriots sideline, the ticker tape falling. Like, that is a special moment in my life that uh, I replay over and over in my mind. Um, but he's the competitor that I think about. Let's go back to MJ here. And I think this is really cool. Rick Riley has a book out called So Help Me Golf. And uh, it's all about these quick little stories. And, of course, if you're familiar with Rick Riley, he wrote for Sports Illustrated for a long time. A lot of them are feel-good stories. He's kind of a quirky writer. He's got a lot of humor he uses. But he identifies some rules that if you ever get the chance to golf with MJ, I wish I could tell you, man, it was awesome. I was right there. I, I will never golf with MJ. I'll never have that opportunity. But there are some rules. So for just on the chance that some of our listeners will golf with MJ, here are a couple of rules that if you ever get that chance. Yeah, number one is straight off, not a problem for me. <laughs> to wear Nikes. Like, that's not a problem. I wore some Jordans, you know, some mids tonight. Fire reds, uh, Jordan 1s. Jordan 1s are my jam. Uh, they now have Jordan 1 golf shoes, so I definitely would have a pair of those. But I think any pair of my Jordan 1s would suffice with the Nikes. I'm not an Air Max guy. I'm not that, I stick with the Jordan. So I think I'd be safe with wearing his shoe going on the course with him. Yeah, so the reason why that's the first thing that you need to do is wear Nikes if you ever get the invite from MJ is because the first thing that MJ does is he looks at what shoes you're wearing. Culture Classroom is sponsored by Pro Quick Draw, the dynamic playbook solution for modern coaches. Let technology work for you with time-saving features to eliminate the busy work so you can spend more time coaching. Our subscription comes with starter templates, stencils, and plays for you to begin building your playbook quickly. Give us a try for 30 days and keep all the templates you make during your trial. That's Pro Quick Draw. Uh, and I guess if it's made you $100 million a year for the last 40 years, uh, wearing Nikes is pretty dang important. So. Don't go to your tea time with MJ wearing something other than Jordans. No Don Joys, no Under Armour, no, no Adidas. You better wear some Nikes. Right, so that's an easy one. Now, I have a real hard time with that, and you wore your J's the other day uh, but uh, when we went out to dinner, but I have a hard time with that because, fun fact for all you Jordan fans out there, uh, you can. it costs Nike less than $15 to make and land a pair of J's in the United States. So for those of you paying hundreds of dollars for a pair of tennis shoes, uh, they're they're made for less than $15. So you're just making Phil Knight rich. And uh, I'm sorry about that, Phil Knight, but you know, uh, wear, wear Nikes if you get that date with, golf, with uh, Jordan. Yeah, so number two, Jordan only plays 36 holes. Yeah, that's it. Like he doesn't play nine, he doesn't play 18, doesn't play 27, he plays 36. Um, yeah, and don't stop. You don't stop. It's straight through. Uh, at Jordan's course in Florida that's tailored to his yardages, his percentages, a drone actually delivers your food. A drone will deliver if you order beer, if you order drinks, or if you order food. A drone is what brings it to you on the hole. I'm so, so glad I don't play golf. <laughs> I couldn't make it to three holes, let alone 36. Yeah, so there's no stopping, and uh, you keep going. So, uh 36 holes, like, don't ask to play anything else. He'll laugh at you. He'll kick you off his course. Oh, 
I'm, I don't feel too good about going to this course. Uh, number three, Jordan only plays for money. <laughs> I'm out. I suck. People <laughs> like, can you drive? I was like, I'm a really good driver. They're like, oh, how far can you drive? I was like, as long as the golf cart is going, I can drive it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I mean, that one's really easy because um, – it doesn't matter what you bet on, right? But you have to bet. There's no getting around it. So you can bet on who's going to hit the ball farther. You can bet who's going to be closer to the hole. You can bet who can make the longest putt. You can bet, you know, who's going to have the better score at the turn. Like, it doesn't matter. But you're betting. Uh, and uh, that's really important to Jordan. And, and we're going to come back to that after we talk about these rules. Um, there's a couple more left. But we'll come back to that one. Yeah, so number four goes back to the money part. Do not putt Jordan for money. He is lights out. He is a lights out putter. In fact, Rick Riley says that if you want to bet on anything, to bet Jordan on hitting the fairway because he sprays his driver constantly all over the place. So he will sink putts, especially if there's $100 on the line, we'll say. It's probably closer to $1,000 per putt that Jordan plays with. But don't bet him on putts. Bet him off the tee. And that gives new meaning to drive for show putt for dough. Yes. So my goodness, like, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm, I'm not going to this course. I'll never have a date with him on a, on the links, at all. Because one, I, I fit number one. That's it. Wear the Nikes. I'll show up and I'll look the part. That's about it. Uh, number five. Do not give Jordan Mulligans. So I'm gonna go back to four and then I'm gonna add in five. So when I thought about, do not put Jordan for money. It has to go back to his basketball skills. So, you know who I think he'd be a really good show on? Like, if he went on Dude Perfect, he'd kill it. He'd kill it. Like, his depth perception from being able to make shots. I think Steph Curry's another one that could, you know, you saw him sink a a shot, I think, from 135 out. Just boom, puts him in the hole. And I think they have an innate ability to see the distance, use either a putter or their hand shooting a basketball to make that happen. So there's no reason. So, A, yeah, I'm not going to put money on a putt for him because I, I've seen him take, make too many shots we talked about in the beginning of this podcast, uh, too many game winners. And then don't give him mulligans. I'm, I'm definitely not going to give him more than one shot. Right. I'm not doing that. Yeah, I think about, you know, the best, right? We, we talked about several of them earlier on. You have mentioned Steph Curry. He's another one, like, in this generation that's really good. I'm not even a basketball guy, but Jordan, Tiger, these guys that have that killer instinct. Like if they don't, when you're that good at a pro sport, you get one shot and they all know it, right? Like if Tom Brady doesn't take that moment in Super Bowl 36, if he doesn't say I'm beating Bledsoe out and I'm, I'm thinking about next year, not just this year, and then Drew will take back the team, then there's no Tom Brady. Then there's no seven rings. Right then, there's no championships in New England, probably, and so the best competitors don't get redos because that's not how the world works. Yeah, no redos, no no mulligans. You know, I'm putting on a golf tournament in a month and a half, and when I was with my committee, they were like, I mentioned mulligans, and they're like, No, we want a real tournament. We don't want mulligans, and I, I I applauded them for that because you get one shot. You get one shot at life. You get one shot to make the right decision. You only get one chance to make a good first impression. So there's so many things you can do one time that matter. And for, for Jordan to say, do not give him mulligan. Like, if I give him mulligan, like, if he beat me and missed one putt, well, I'll go back to number four. Uh, he misses a putt, 
I'm not going to get, like, hey, I can use my mulligan on that. Well, he's going to take your money. Yeah. And it ain't going to be $5. It's going to be 5000 um, Here's another thing I love about all this with Jordan. It's my favorite play- player growing up. Uh, when I was the editor of the school newspaper at Delta State, I was the columnist. Uh, I had a, like an editorial, and it was called Leave It to Weaver. And I wrote the MJs. Yeah, pretty clever, right? Leave it to Weaver, baby. Yeah. Hey, that's great. That's good stuff. So uh, I wrote a, uh, an editorial on the MJs that impacted my life. And here are the three MJs, Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson, and Michael Joseph. That was my dad's name, Michael Joseph. But the music for Michael Jackson, of just what he, like how he changed music. Uh, I wish I could dance like he did. Cannot. No. <laughs> Two left feet. I can still move a little bit. Um, And that's like from right to left. That's it. Michael Jordan, ultimate competitor. I mean, anytime WGN had the game, like I still remember watching them play the Pistons and the Trailblazers and him putting his hands up when he can't miss a shot, uh, just the way he is. And then my dad, Michael Joseph, uh, for being in the military and just giving me a lot of guidance, just how to do the right thing. You know, just – how do I gonna? How am I gonna approach this? How am I gonna do this? And like that militaristic style of doing things. Now, not in the military, didn't choose that path. But you know, the MJs that impacted my life and those three. So Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan, and Michael Joseph. Wow, that's that's really good. You know, it's interesting talking to you, like listening to you talk about WGN because uh, I grew up with three TV channels, but constantly like scrolling through like my Sports Illustrated or when I would go to my grandparents' house, they got ESPN. We would watch. And it's like, I think that's why I hated Michael Jordan is because I was waiting to see him fail, right? Like I was always not an Isaiah Thomas fan, but the bad boys are definitely a better story, right, than the Bulls were. And uh, Lakers, Celtics, East Coast, West Coast, that's 1980s. So Michael Jordan comes in, changes the game. I, I very much remember some of Jordan's greatest games. Like when he went against the Kembe Mutombo and the Denver Nuggets, like, I mean, I don't know what year that is, 96 maybe, 97. That's kind of in the middle of their 72-10 and 10 season. I mean, it's like I keep waiting for Jordan to fail, and he keeps proving me wrong, and that only fuels that piece. I mean, he won in Looney Tunes. I mean, he competed with Looney Tunes. So that's that's my – And Toon Squad, man. That's my son's favorite movie. Everyone else is tired of it. We're on our 19-hour drive here to the beach, and uh, – at one point, my 12-year-old's on her phone, my 7-year-old's on her iPad, and, and Maddox is just sitting there and just zoning out to watching Bugs and, uh, and, yeah. and Michael. So, the guy never loses. He yeah. beat the monsters. Yeah. So I just think it's great. And here's what it all has in common. Here's why you have to bet. Here's why you have to play by the rules. And if you read So Help Me Golf, there's uh, a lot more in there. And if you're a golf fan like I am, you'll appreciate the book and just the stories. But Michael Jordan said it best. He said he doesn't have a gambling problem, right? And, of course, his gambling addiction is well-documented, uh, and he's got money to burn, so it's not a, he's never going to put himself in a bad position because people like you keep buying J's, right? Like, I know, I know, keep making Phil Knight rich. Uh, but he puts it best. He says, I don't have a gambling problem. I have a competition problem. And when we talk about culture, we're constantly competing, right? Culture, we're competing against our opponents. We're competing against our previous self. We're trying to be better all the time. We're trying to be, you know, when you know better, you do better. That's a phrase that we live by in the Tory household. And uh, we're trying to do better all the time. And that's the key to culture, in my opinion. So when we have a competition problem, 
I don't know where that ends. I don't know how that stops. I don't know how Jordan now almost 60, maybe he is 60. He turned 60, didn't he, just this year? And so it's like when you're 60 years old, should you still have a competition problem? I don't know. But that's just what makes him the best. I think it makes you tick. I think that's what makes you tick is in sports. Uh, I talked about in a previous episode about my punting and how I had to compete each time if somebody would try to come in. And I think the moment you stop competing with other people, with yourself, you regress. I think you go backwards. So it's interesting that you put about culture, how we're competing with it every day. Randy Jackson calls it a daily fist fight. Um, you got to compete because those kids are looking for something to grab their attention. And I think you have to be on your A game every day of being consistent with what you're teaching them, what you're coaching them on, how you're speaking to them. Like you're competing with yourself. So you versus yesterday is a kind of a thing. Like, am I better today than I was yesterday? Am I be better tomorrow than I am today? And I think when you look at it through that lens, it helps you from not being complacent. No, that's such a good way to put it. And I think about like what you're saying with you versus yesterday. And I can't help but think about Adam Burns, you know, the coach that I, I worked with for a long time and uh, who lost his life here recently to uh, six months ago to, to, to brain cancer. And, um, you know, he talked about how you can have everything, right? You can be at the top of your game and it all comes crashing down in just a split second or in one diagnosis or in a car accident or whatever. And I think it comes down to this. Like at the beginning of the podcast, I asked you who's the greatest competitor? Life. We're constantly competing against life. Like life is the greatest competitor. It's that 18-wheeler coming around the corner that you don't see, right? It's that it's the cancer that you aren't sure is happening in your body right now where your cells are mutating. Uh, it's, you know, it's that accident that's waiting or that's going to come or, you know, it, it's just, it's the future is the best competitor. We're constantly competing against yesterday, but really it's about what's coming. Yeah, and I think that's a, it's a great perspective to look at it through the lens of, I don't know what's coming, so I'm preparing myself for when that does come. Because it's easy to go and change the past. Just kidding. You can't, <laughs> right? You can't. So when you look at that, that's a great way to look at it. So you versus yesterday, yesterday's gone. But the present and future is what you can control. And you see all the time coaches put like, control what you can control. They say that all the time. But being really like, control what you control is being ready for what life throws at you. And are you competing every day that whatever gets thrown at you, can you handle it? Can you be like Jordan and just make the game-winning shot? Can you be like uh, Tiger Woods and drive it on 18 and par out to win the Masters? Yeah, can you can you go six under on Masters Sunday? You know, when, when you're two shots back, can you push that? Like, everyone talks about the Sunday roar with Tiger. Like, you can hear him for holes on the course and as a competitor other people freak out they're like oh man here comes tiger here it is like and and if you're tiger it's like just give me one chance right i just want to be in the hunt on sunday and then watch what happens and uh you know i constantly think about norm um from cheers so child of the 80s right grew up watching cheers with my dad and how can you not like norm right uh if you ever get a chance to go to Cheers Bar in Boston, it's it's really nostalgic. It's a great place. But somewhere everybody knows your name. That's right. And I just think about how you walk in. It's oh Norm, you know. And uh, 
Norm put it best in one of the episodes. He used to say that it's a dog-eat-dog world, and I'm wearing milk-bone underwear. So you don't know what's going to come, but we know that you know the, the cards are stacked against us. We just don't know what those cards are. I think it's a great way to put it. Can you continue to compete if it is a dog-eat-dog world and if you do have uh, some adversity stacked against you? All right, so if you're still hanging on to us, this is extra credit. And we have did this in the last podcast, you paid attention. But we're just going to dive in a little bit deeper of uh, who JT is and who I am. Uh, we spent some time at some beach somewhere uh, and found out like who we really are. So we are alike. And there are some differences, which we didn't think we were totally like. We're not twins. Right, right. Um, We're not separated we sh- at birth. No, like we share the same name, right? That's a similarity. We both write the same in all caps. That's a similarity. But there are some differences that uh, we've experienced being on a family vacation with each other's family. Uh, so JT, I'm gonna let you take the spin on extra credit for this first question. Yeah, I mean we're not get we're gonna go a little bit beyond the food here because I mean that's definitely a, a difference that we have, and uh, you know we're gonna go a little bit uh, with northern southern thing. But uh, I just think climate. Like let's just go climate. Like we went out to dinner the other night. Like okay, I am dying in Florida. For all you people that are up north, like I am a northern guy. Winter is my favorite season. I know that puts me in the minority. Like, I don't own a coat. Like, I, uh, I have my starter jacket from when I was 15, but I just wear that to scoop my drive because it looks really cool and it's nostalgic. Um, but otherwise, I don't wear a coat. I walk to school every day, and it's 20 below, and it doesn't I'm a winter guy. Like, I love it. Give me more cold. I am dying in Florida. The low is 80, and uh, we went out to dinner last night. They got the misters going, right? And they got the fans going, and, like, my complexion is all kinds of jacked up. I look like I'm 14 going through puberty again. Uh, just just pimples popping everywhere. But at one point, Weaver's wife looks at me and goes, you okay? Like, you gonna, like I'm like, are you, how are you guys doing? Like, is, is this bad? And they're like, oh, no, we're, we're good. It's sticky, but we're okay. And it's like, my wife and I are just, just dying. So people in the North, we handle things a little different. Yeah, so on that side, um, I love the South. So if I ever got a job down in Florida, I know I can't call Coach Story. He'll work remote. Uh, he's like, look, I'll be a consultant, but give me more cold. Me, on the other hand, I love the hot. I, I, I live at the beach. I would stay here. Uh, I have no problem wearing long sleeves, not when it's cold, but when it's 95, I'll wear long sleeves to practice. And uh, the humidity is not a problem. I, Mainly because when people complain about humidity, they complain about their hair gets wavy. My wife complains about that. And I have no hair, so that's not a problem for me. But I, I love the heat. So, uh, so great, great story of this is uh, Coach Weaver's got, like, he kind of looked around at some different opportunities. And one is in Minneapolis. And Minneapolis is four hours from Denison. It's, we love going to Minneapolis. We'll go to Twins games. We'll go to Viking games. Like, sometimes we just drive up to Minneapolis to stay in a pool and just kind of hang out with our kids, right? Um, and Weaver goes, you know, Coach Story, I didn't even know where Iowa was on a map. And then I looked, it's next to Minneapolis. And he goes, and you know where Minneapolis is next to? Canada. <laughs> and, and he goes, I'm out. I can't, I'm not even entertaining that. So we were, I, when I was looking, like it's, I'm, I don't teach anymore, so I'm not in the classroom that much. I can't see a map. And I was just, we were waiting on our, our table last night 
And we went in this little place, and they had an ice tray that had the uh, United States on it. And you could, like, freeze the water in it, and, cut, and you can pop out each state. And I started looking, and I was like, man, that's where Iowa is. Like, just look, because I know it's above Missouri and all that stuff, but you, like, I, I'm familiar with, like, the South. So Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, that, you know, the Southeast. I started looking, I was like, like, to myself, I'm thinking, like, damn, that's up there. <laughs> and then the, uh, the job in Minneapolis, I was like, oh, no, no, no way. So his wife today, JT's wife, were uh, in the ocean, and she's like, sorry, what? when you start looking for, like, the job or location, what is it? And I was like, first I said 80-20. Then I turned into 70-30. But it's 70-30 location and then job. Obviously, it's an AD job. It's uh, something in athletics. But it's got to be in the right spot. I'm not moving. <laughs> like, John Perry and Nixa, that's borderline. Like, no. Give me the sun. Give me closer to the equator. Uh, I mean, obviously, if there was a school that was right on the beach that needed a AD somewhere and the price was right, I'm in. But I love the beach. Uh, my family loves the beach. My wife loves the beach. My kids love it. Uh, n- north, not so much. Not so much. I mean, I, it's, I mean, you're my wife at dinner. Like, if it gets like 65, it's like you're wearing a hoodie. You know, I'm wearing a hoodie. Uh, if it gets 50, I'm putting on sweats and I'm going to check the mail. You, on the other hand, you're on a coat. You're like, oh, it's negative 40. It's negative 40. I'm in short sleeves and I'm walking. I was like, short sleeves? Like, yeah, and shorts. Yeah, so Chris, so Coach Weaver's wife, you know, she's sitting there and she's like, okay, so how cold does it get? And I'm like, well, we got we got two ways to measure this in Iowa. We got like the real field temperature, right? And then you got the wind chill. And it's the wind chill that gets you every time. But she's like, oh, so like, like how bad? And I'm like, oh, minus 50, minus 60 for a, a week. And she's like, oh, like how long? And I'm, I'm like, oh, a week, maybe week or two. Uh, it, but then it'll get up back up to the 20s again. And, and <laughs> that's when I golf, right? When it's 25, there's no snow on the ground, I'll golf. Even if the, if, if the greens are open, like, I, oh. that's, that's when I go do that. So we're not talking 25 Celsius. I'm talking Fahrenheit here. But it's just different. So it's just another uh, Coach Weaver, Coach Tory difference. Yeah, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sticking with us an extra credit. I'm all about the sun and the surf, not the north. And the white sand is not sand. And the white sand is not sand. Give me all the sand uh, and give me all the sun. So thanks for sticking around and listening to Extra Credit and listening to more episodes coming soon in the Culture Classroom.